Hello there, and welcome to Jenny, the Jennifer Magazine podcast. I'm Jen Cooper, the creator of Jennifer, where we're ushering in a new kind of women's media, one that's audacious, collaborative, middle-aged, or close to it. Basically, here's what we're doing. We're tossing out all that status quo nonsense we grew up with so we can evolve into this new era together. So exciting. I am so glad you're here today because we are chatting with Lisa Anderson Schaefer. And Lisa is, and she's one of those incredible people, uh, somebody who keeps things really interesting in the best, best, best ways. She's an author. She's a former podcaster. She's a psychotherapist. She's an artist. And I am, I am overjoyed that she's here. Now, if you've been reading Jennifer Magazine, first of all, Thank you. Secondly, you may remember her from the feature we did on her skateboarding. So here's the story. Lisa was, I think, in her mid-40s, late 40s, like me, uh, when she took up skateboarding. I actually don't know how old Lisa is. I don't remember, but that's not the point here. The point is that she took up skateboarding later in life, and she is fierce. And I just think she is the coolest. So I invited her on because she's gotten into something that I'm fascinated with. So if you're the woo-loving kind, this conversation is going to be amazing for you. And if you are not the woo-loving kind, I I want to invite you to come over to our side of the table and sit with us and listen and maybe learn something, expand your mind. Lisa is a psychotherapist, so she does a lot of subconscious stuff. And I think it's just fascinating that she's now integrating and using human design as something that can really help our clients love themselves, love themselves as they are, understand how they're made. And that's, that's what we're going to be talking about today is human design. This is your first time hearing this word. You are going to have a lot of Googling in your future, and it's going to take you down some rabbit holes and you'll be like, what is this? So I, you know, go to Google after our talk because I think you're going to find some really fascinating things. And if you do, let me know about it. Like, give me a shout. I would love to know what your design is. I'm a projector. I am the hermit and, uh, and I am very hermity, although I'm coming out of it now. So that's been really nice. And all of this, the projector thing, the hermit thing, all of that will make sense once you start Googling. But until then, Let's kick it over to Lisa. Wow. How are you? Good and, and weird and like shit's weird, but I'm good. Okay. <laughs> That's the best way to describe it. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It's a lot. And my uh, youngest is graduating from high school. Oh my God. That's huge. It is. It's really. Are you doing okay? You know what? I am. I had a harder time when my oldest, cause I think that was like, oh, it's real. And now I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Everyone's has like moved on and everyone's okay. And like, yeah. So it's not scary because it's not unknown. I think I've been building up this, you know, my own stuff. I'm transitioning out of mom mode and I've been doing that for a while. So yeah. So you are, tell me where you're at again in California. I'm in Fairfax, which is like 20 miles north of San Francisco. Yeah. Did you grow up in California? I grew up on Long Island. What was that like? Oh, I basically just moved to a West Coast version of the town. 
that I grew up in. It's even, even Fairfax is like the town of Huntington was like maybe 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Huntington's much big. Like Huntington has like tens of thousands of people. It's much, much bigger, but like the feel of it being like kind of funky and a little off center and like lots of vibrant teens roaming around. <laughs> so it kind of has that same vibe. So are you like, I guess you're kind of like attracted to a certain place. I, I don't know. I mean, I lived in San Francisco for 16 years. And when I was growing up, I was always in the city. I took classes at like Pratt and Parsons. I was always in and out just as an artist. So it was a big part of my life. And then I just, I think two things. I think A, living on the West Coast is just easier. It's just easy. Like nobody's out to make anything hard for anybody. (laughs) So that's kind of why I stayed. But definitely with parenting and it's it's just really like I'm looking out my window and I can see the mountains and redwood grove and it's like Mm. there's just nothing for miles and I like that yeah I didn't think I would I left the city kicking and screaming yeah but like something in me shifted where I was like okay so with all the other things I'm tasked with in adulthood and parenthood I kind of like this vastness And people in Marin are really transparent. Like it gets the same rap that affluent suburbs outside of a city have. I mean, it's all the same. It's all the Stepford, you know, family like thing, but people are really transparent here and it's refreshing. Like people actually tell you what's going on with their kids Mm. instead of trying to pretend that everything's perfect. They're like, oh, you know what? My kid fucking blew the SAT. (laughs) What we're going to do? Like it was a hot mess or like... That it's really so refreshing. refreshing because I was just hearing something. I was watching this thing. Uh, the writers of Succession were talking about, you know, their writer's room and everything. Yeah. And because I'm a geek for that type of thing. And the main guy, Jesse, I can't remember his name, but he was saying that when he's writing these characters, he remembers that most people lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hadn't, I think it's, I don't know if it's my makeup. It's which we can get into in a minute or like, like how this all works. But I mean, I'm sure as a storyteller and yeah, I'm sure I've, you know, exaggerated things, but I don't typically lie. And I just, for me, that's really hard. If I can't figure out, <laughs> you know, where somebody's coming from genuinely, yeah, it makes me feel actually, this is weird, but I think it makes me feel unsafe. It makes me feel unstable. It makes me feel like I can't connect. It's definitely a vibe. Like Marin is pretty, if you ask someone how they're doing, yeah, they will tell you people especially don't lie about their kids. Yeah. So they will say like, this year has been really rough. Like my kid was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, or whatever. And the yeah. Medicaid, like we're still trying to figure it out. It's always an effort to like create a community around it. Cause then ultimately whoever is there is like, oh, that's really rough. Like, you know who, um, had some success, like, and then it's just like all this information. So I'm wondering, so there's something about living in these small communities that reminds me of, um, that almost sounds like kinship, you know, like these kind of like smaller communities where like, when you have to rely on one another, you better get deep real fast because, you know, you're going to need each other. So it is also to ultimately, I think it's a different The East Coast, and I think you have to remove yourself from it, but the East Coast has a pervasive scarcity mindset. 
Oh, I'm on the East Coast, born and yeah. raised, so I understand. And yeah. I didn't recognize it until I was out here for a long time. And I was like, ooh, like I had to undo a lot of it. Yeah. But the West Coast, at least where I am right now, is not like that. You, you don't keep things from people because if you tell someone your vulnerabilities or you tell someone that you had work done or whatever hang up that right. people may have that they think it says something about yourself. There's no one who's going to use that to knock you out of the way so that they can achieve more or be better or be stronger. Wow. There's no one, no one's like, yeah. oh, I'm going to tell everybody, you know, like there's none of that. Like someone is in front of me in line and if they fall out of line, goody for me, because right. it means it's one less person I have to knock out of my way. This kind of thinking is like, A, who gives a shit? B, like- if we both do the exact same thing and are applying for the same job and you don't get it or I don't get it, then there's something else. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a life doomed to spiraling out of control because you didn't get what you wanted. So let's, um, so talking about that transition, moving from the East coast to the West coast, you've also gone through a lot of transitions in your work and your art. You recently made the move from, you have a psycho, a psychotherapy practice. Yes. I had, yeah. So I I have this kind of very strange trajectory where I keep circling back to things, but doing them in different ways. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I circle back and I kind of am on the freeway, but a different lane of that freeway. Right. So I started out as a fine artist, like very seriously, I started going to fine art school when I was still in high school, and then moved out to California to finish my BFA and was a working artist for a a long time, was a California Arts Council grantee, was an artist in residence at UCSF Mount Zion before it was like a major cancer. You were living the artist, true artist life. Like you were focused full time. Yeah. Had grants and all that business. And then strangely enough, like a real turning point was September 11th because what happened to arts funding is it all got, it went down the toilet. And this is what happens in time of crisis. We like, we know this, this is what always happens if there's a war or there's some sort of uh, national emergency, the arts gets knocked down and whatever we can talk about whether that's fair or not, but it kind of is, it's just data. It's yeah, it just happens, right? It just happens. And money does have to be spent in other areas where there's a crisis. I'm assuming with COVID, the same thing happened. Maybe I just didn't know about it because I wasn't relying on, you know, arts grants right, or anything. Right. So I had heard that my funding was going to be discontinued like within nine months or something. And UCSF was like, well, we'll keep you for the year, but we don't, have the money a lot, like we don't have money allotted for this position without a grant. So I was like, okay, what do I want to do? So I thought about going back to school. It was like, I applied for MFA programs. I got into NYU um, Mm. and then ultimately decided that I wanted to stay in California Yeah, and I was going to try something else because Mm. I was like, I know how to be an art, like I know how to be an artist. I, I get that. And I know an MFA would get me to a much higher level, but like, I get what that does. Right. So maybe I try something else. And so I was curious about psychology because I was working with people at the beginning of the end of life at Mount Zion. 
Oh, um, like art therapy or something or sort of like I would go into, I wasn't working as an art therapist because I, I wasn't licensed. I was working as an artist, creating art with people who were in the hospital for treatment. So like UCSF in the nineties still had an AIDS ward. Oh, wow. So I was working at the bedside with people that were actively dying of AIDS. I was making art with them, which is like bananas for me to think about now because we're on the path to AIDS becoming completely eradicated, which is amazing. Yeah. But that's the kind of work I was doing. So I was around death and dying a lot. And I was like, there's something going on here that I can't tap into as an artist. Like there's a spirit or a psychology. Mm -hmm. And I was like, maybe I want to like learn a little bit more about that. Right. talked my way into San Francisco state master's clinical science program with zero prerequisites in psychology. I was like, I think I want to do this. And they were like, okay, but you don't know what you're doing. That's funny. So you were a good salesperson for it. You must've had some type of passion or something that just radiated off you that they were like, all right, let's, let's give this person what she wants. So Something happened where they said, if you do these prerequisites, you can take them at like city college in the city. It'll be cheap. Uh-huh. Come back and and we'll see what we can do. And so I did it. And then I got in and that was a really great experience. I love state. It's such a great school. It's a great program. Then I became licensed. I worked in a lot of different settings in my training, psychiatric hospitals. I ended up specializing in adolescence and acute crisis. I was a director of counseling services at a small private fashion college, which doesn't exist anymore in San Francisco, sadly. I did that and I was in private practice for a while and then went through a lot of fertility challenges. And that Mm -hmm. kind of brought me to an edge where I was like, I want to be really thoughtful about my mental and emotional space as I move into motherhood. Like when it was finally happening, when I was like, okay, (laughs) I was pregnant enough to be like, this is happening this time. Right, right. And decided to just hold that or have that holding role for my child exclusively. When I I got pregnant with my second, I left, I dropped out of the workforce because I was like, I, I had two kids now, you know, it's a lot. We don't put enough emphasis on how much it actually is for some people, for me, it was other people, they can pop them out like five at a time Yeah, (laughs) just keep on moving. But that wasn't me. Yeah. I actually, I I realized I need to clarify that I dropped out of the traditional workforce and started my own stuff that would give me that balance between being a mom and being able to have some other part of me out there that existed beyond the mom story. So, yeah. And that's what I did too. I started Zelma Rose, which was my jewelry company for about 12 years. I closed it last year after just kind of, to be honest, I didn't have a feeling about it. Mm -hmm. I felt nothing. Like you felt just numb. Like it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had marketing teams. I had people that worked for me and I realized at a meeting that they were super excited about this plan. And Mm -hmm. I left the meeting and I remember saying to my husband, I felt nothing. Mm. That was my cue to like, really think about that and be like, is there a way I can shift this business to feel something or am I just feeling nothing. And it was feeling nothing. So I took a year to think about, is there a role for me in this world of psychology that I still really like? I love working with people one-on-one. I love feeling like I'm helping people. Is there a way that I can do this not as a therapist? Because Mm. being a therapist for me would be a drag. Honestly, it's a lot. It is a lot. 
And we are talking about a place and time where the shit that people are dealing with and working through is severely serious. Yeah. You mean this time in life? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like COVID, uh, mm-hmm. chaos. Um, like even if I wasn't going through like midlife changes, the, the whole world uh, shut down. I mean, that's that's wild. Yeah. And so ironically, you know, like at its greatest need for therapy, I was like, it's not going to be me. I'm not going to have that role. You understood your bandwidth. (laughs) Yeah. And it was not that. And it's been interesting because when I, and I sort of worked through all this with my podcast, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out like, where was was there a role for me? What did I want to do? Could I dip back in? How could I do it? Not as a therapist, but still kind of use that in a way of thinking, mm-hmm. um, cause that never goes away. I mean, I'll have that bank of knowledge for the rest of my life, but it was interesting because I had a lot of people say to me, are, are you going back in? Cause I could set you up with a full practice of adolescence by next week. And wow. that was almost when I knew for sure <laughs> that I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think the therapists, I know they were really overtaxed and, and you forget, well, I don't know if people forget, but I think you know, they're real people too, dealing with the same trauma that you are, but then having to hold yours as well. And I think we expect some type of like superhuman capacity on their behalf, but yeah, they're just people. And it just wasn't me. You know, I was like, I have colleagues that are kicking ass at the therapy game. Like they are solid. They Mm -hmm. are thriving. They are providing some of the best help that's out there. Yeah. Me. So that was a reconciliation I had to do with myself of being like, I can, I can want that, but it's just not me right now. Wow. That takes a lot of bravery to say that this is not what I want. <laughs> like, especially for something like a therapist, there could be some shame or like carrying the weight of like, I went in this to help people. And, you know, so, so what did you end up doing? So I took some time feeling around, like while I was the year that I was, I decided, okay, Zelma Rose is going to come to an end at mm-hmm. this point in time. It was about almost exactly a year ago. So I took that year to really be open to different things kind of coming in and following different interests while I was still working on the business and maintaining and doing all that. And I started to really think about how can I work with people individually in a different way, in a way that is of service is of service using what I know how to do, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but is also not leaving me in a place of depletion. Yeah. So what'd you come up with? So human design, this thing called human design kind of fell in my lap. I have a friend, a good friend named Bridget, who is a projector in human design, which will make sense to those of you who kind of dive in after this conversation. But she has this really great way of seeing things and knowing what is the next right move. And so she just kind of mentioned to me casually at the very beginning of the pandemic, maybe even before it was in 2020, we were talking about business. She's a business consultant. And she was like, do you know about this thing? Like, and I was just kind of like, dude, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. And so she said, go to this website. It's like $95. Buy this book, read it. It's going to blow your mind and tell me what you think. Okay. So I went to this website. It sounds very like clandestine, <laughs> you know, or like multi-level marketing or something like it was like kind. Yeah. It's like, but this is what Bridget does. Like she, she presents me with this thing, like 
just like see what you think and so I know now as like her role and with her energy and her design that like I just do what she says like it's it's always good so I go to this website which very much looks like mine now where you can buy this digital book with your human design and I get this book and I read it and I was like holy shit (laughs) what is this yeah what is it I I think the most interesting thing about it is that it's new Mm -hmm. it was and and this the origin story is like out of a made for tv movie like it could be like a a hallmark movie (laughs) hallmark (laughs) channel movie there was this guy alan krakauer and in 1987 he had this there's many different words we can put to it we could call it a psychic event we could call it a psychedelic event we could call it a thinning of the veil we call it many different things in in many different places and spaces it's referred to as different things but he had this experience where he downloaded it's not even downloaded it's like he kind of thought of it as it happened to him this information Mm -hmm. happened to him Mm -hmm. from what he referred to as the voice which some people call the spirit or you know again there's different names and different so this was his like Joan of Arc moment or his like Brigham Young uh, type moment or like something where it was like inner voice whatever gave him some type some type of message yeah. So okay. he, so this okay. was in 1987. He then spent eight days like in this state, which it sort of kind of sounds like I would imagine what a mania might feel like, like not really eating very much, not sleeping, but like taking in all this information. And then he spent really like a long time, like practically 20 years writing it down into a system, mm-hmm. having it and like slowly like transcribing it. It is said that other people had a similar experience. Mm-hmm. One of the possible stories is that Alan, who then changed his name to Ra Uruhu, of course, you know, what he's known as. Well, he, as the, he was transformed. He couldn't go by Alan. And right. right. <laughs> Alan's so pedestrian. <laughs> right. You can't be Alan anymore. But it's thought that he kind of was able to bring it to light because of his status as a white male, that people mm. were open to believing him, whether Mm. it, if it had been someone else, you know, who knows? So I see, I see, I see. So this could have happened to, this could have happened to multiple people, but multiple people could have said the same thing, but because patriarchy, white supremacy underpinnings of that type of like why people listen to him. Okay. Okay. Exactly. So that's kind of, and that's looking back. So we're not ascribing this to him specifically, or should we be like, somehow like there could have been other people who did this he was just the most fit you know yeah he he's known for it like people studied with him he became the main teacher Um, my teacher was taught by him so it, it it is ascribed to him but it is there apparently there is recording a reference that other people had a similar experience so it was Um, which is interesting it was kind of a collective Ah, okay um, okay oh okay Tell me about so so it's kind of like um is it like a personality assessment no. is it like astrology no. what is it like so it combines a bunch of different things it's new like mm-hmm. compared to the ancient practices that it's built on like it is part astrology it is part I Ching it is part tree of life and it is part chakra system okay all of those are ancient 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 which makes human design kind of interesting because it's newer. Mm -hmm. There's no 
order of importance or significance of any of these practices. They're all used very seriously and very deeply by many people throughout the world for a very long time. So just because human design is new or it combines a lot of these, there's no like level of goodness or betterness. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. This is more spiritual. This is more in the spiritual realm, right? Well, I mean, it depends upon what you think and how you practice things like astrology and the I Ching and the chakra system and the tree of life. Like that is very serious for some people and it is partially spiritual, but it also is like a hundred percent real and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, physical to them. Yeah. So that's kind of like an individual contextualization of like, where do you want to hold this? Right. But the thing that makes human design a little bit different is that just in like the foundation of it or where it comes from, where the information comes from is like with the other practices, they're looking at mostly one point in time. They're looking at birth time. Mm-hmm. So just like astrology for your human design, you need to know your exact birth time and your birthplace mm-hmm. and your birthday and and year. Mm-hmm. And that is put into a system, just like if you get an ast- astrological reading that's put into a system and that tells you what your star sign is, your rising sign, the ascendance, you know, all of that. That's how that information is gathered. Same in human design, except human design has kind of two pieces There's the personality side, which is um, also known as the conscious or where things are defined in your chart. And that's taken at your birth time. Same as astrology. That's the exact time you're born, your birth date. Right, right. But there's an unconscious or design sign of it that is also in your chart. And that's taken at 88 degrees before your birth, which is roughly like 33 days or so. Okay. So that information is taken in when you're in utero. Okay. And that's where the stars and the planet, like the information I'm talking about is where the stars and the planets are in the sun in relation to that day and time. That's Mm -hmm. how the information comes about in astrology and with like the design or the conscious side of human design. Mm -hmm. So human design kind of takes all of this and allows you to kind of see it and participate in it. So that's kind of the, like the mathematics of it. Okay. (laughs) Okay. But there's a whole other piece of it that really helps move us to a place where we're in better communication with our body. And Mm -hmm. that is human design kind of encourages us to think of ourselves as an entity of energy, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit different. And I think when we, or I, I think I've also noticed with myself and with my clients, when we start to see ourselves as an energetic entity, We make a connection with our body, with our nervous system Mm -hmm. that is really just allowing us to create boundaries in an entirely different way and care for ourselves in an entirely different way, which I think is the way that we're moving in the world away Mm -hmm. from this kind of mind body separation, right? Away from really relying on logic, (laughs) right? um, Right. Not listening to ourselves. Like that seems to be the place that collectively we're moving. And having this connection with our energy does so much. So like one of the things that I used to love to do when I was, when I was a psychotherapist, I was a psychoanalytic psychotherapist. So I was like couch 40 and all, all of that. Um, right. Bag right. Stuff. So like lay down and yeah, you get your mm-hmm. pipe. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
And that was the kind of therapy that, you know, that I was in for, for years, just learning how to practice it and doing my own work. But one of the things I used to like to do is look at a modality or a system and think, okay, if all of this fell away, Mm -hmm. if all the language fell away, if all the practice fell away, if it disappeared overnight and someone was left with what they learned or what they gained from it, what would those things be? And that was always important to me with modalities because there's so many different modalities. So Mm -hmm. when I would have a patient come in wanting help with something or wanting to shift, it was like, what's left for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If, if we, if I go with this modality, if they work with me, if I refer them out to a different modality, like what is the result? What are we trying Mm -hmm. to do? Instead of thinking like what modality gets us there, it's like, mm-hmm. what, what's the result? What does that look like? And so human design, I think offers this really great number of things that we can benefit from like, no matter what. Okay. So tell me like what some of these things are. Okay. So let me just, I'll, I'll give a couple examples first of like the different things you learn in human design and what okay. they mean. And then sure, sure. I'll talk about like why I think that's important. So Energy type is like sort of the first delineation or the first kind of thing that you learn. And there's five energy types. They're manifester, generator, manifesting generator, projector, and reflector. Mm -hmm. They all mean different things. They're all good. There's no bad chart in human design. There's no everybody always says that like trait. You know, even in the star signs, it's like, there's no bad star sign. I'm like, then why do y'all hate Gemini so much? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, that's where like popular culture comes in and really yeah. shits on everything. Yeah, that's because true. Because the true. people that do the work are like, there's no bad sign. Also right. too, what tends to happen and what is happening with human design is that there's people that want to make it really dogmatic. Oh, okay. And I get that. There's people in the psychoanalytic world too that want to make it dogmatic. And Mm -hmm. it can be fun when you're in it. It can be really fun to speak a language and get in with with your colleagues and talk in a way that no one else understands. Right, right, right. You know, that way when I get in rooms with like marketers or business people who like, I'm like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Make it plain language (laughs) because I don't understand. But that's a lot of like, we're moving out of, I hope we're moving away from a lot of gatekeeping, right? I hope so. I think the more women who are in positions of power, the more gates that are open, women aren't gatekeepers like that. Right, Um, right. People who want to stay in power and are threatened by other people having power, they're gatekeepers. Right. And there are gatekeepers in the human design world. There are people that want it to be very dogmatic. And to me, it's like, we already have religion. Why are we making something that is supposed to help someone? Why are we being exclusive about it? Why are we using language that keeps people uninterested or makes, or is like, Ugh. and a lot of the language in human design is Ugh. like the chart is not pretty. It's ugly. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) You know, I kind of got it on my, on my website. Like you can go and you can make your chart on my website. And I made it kind of look as pretty as I thought it could look, but it's like shapes and angles and it's like, you know? Yeah. But so there is some kind of, there is a little speed bump you have to get over. And so is it understanding what these different types are, this projector and uh, manifester. And so tell me about those. Yeah. So the energy type is basically that suggests how you best make use of your energy. Okay. And that's like the first foundation. And when you 
put your chart in anywhere, you'll tell it will spit out all this information and use words that you're like, what is like, what is that, you know? So that's kind of the first thing. And then the second is strategy. And strategy is how you create the most aligned opportunities. Okay. So the cool thing about human design is that like, it tells you this information and then it lays out this blueprint on how to create experiments to do it. It's not like, Hey, your energy is like here. Mm -hmm. Good luck. Like have fun knowing this information. It's like, (laughs) okay, here's this information. Here's Uh how to actually like work it. Okay. So you can kind of work. It's like, you're working this blueprint through experiments, a lot of trust, like you're creating your own data set based on this different information. So you get your energy type, how you best um, use your energy. And that's for yourself and also for the collective. Then strategy, how to create aligned opportunities for yourself, signature and not self, which are like trailheads, which let you know if you're going in the right direction or not for your most aligned, powerful energy. Mm-hmm. And then authority, which is how we make the best decisions. So it's like, here's how aligned decisions come to you. Here's how you decide about those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Here's how you make decisions. And then like, there's things like definition, how you best work with people, how you best understand concepts, your profile. Some people refer to that as like your life purpose. Then it goes really deep. I'm just talking about sort of the well, it's first a lot of part of it. Level. Yeah. (laughs) It's so much like it goes into like, you know, what type of exercise is beneficial to you? What kind of eater you are? Like it goes, you could spend a long time, but like for an introductory reading, that's what I cover with people. And Uh it's like, you could just stop there forever. And like, you know, you can know this information and decide to do nothing with it and have a perfectly wonderful life. Or you can know this information and work with it and have a perfectly wonderful life. It's not a do or die. It's a do or die situation. It's more like I have a certain amount of energy. Here's the best way to use it. Totally. And, and where I think the benefit of that Mm -hmm. is I like to think of human design as offering like six gifts, six distinct gifts. The first one is just to recognize yourself as an entire energetic entity, like you are one energetic entity, Mm -hmm. meaning we tend to compartmentalize ourselves into like work Jennifer and parent Mm -hmm. Jennifer and family life Jennifer and friend Jennifer. And it's like, it's all Jennifer. It's all Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't matter like where you, it's one vessel. It's one energetic vessel. So in terms of like energy type, we're not an independently wealthy group of people in this country necessarily. So if something in your at work feels stuck, you can't just be like, okay, I'm done. I'm pivoting the shit out of this. I'm like, like a lot of times we are stuck in life for financial reasons, legal reasons, you know, all sorts of limiting reasons. So it's like when one area of your energy might be stuck, it's about thinking about how to find joy and pursue alignment in other areas. And the idea is that if you're stuck at work and you know you want to leave your job, but you cannot right now because any number of reasons, but you know, okay, maybe in two years I want to leave or maybe in six months or whatever it is. 
but you're there, ultimately Mm -hmm. you want to leave. It's like, what can you do in the other areas of your life that you really enjoy? And And because we're one, give that to you. Like, does it reveal itself to, to somebody or. Yeah, it can be helpful. So like an example is the generator energy type is do what lights you up. That's it. Okay. Does it apply to everybody though? It does. Yes. We should all be involved in energetically what lights us up, but we all have kind of a different role. And so the generator's role with a defined sacral motor, that is like a very primitive energy source that keeps them humming like little Mm -hmm. worker bees, their role in the collective is to be so lit up by what they're doing that their energy is able to be borrowed by people like projectors and reflectors and manifestors who do not maybe have a defined sacral motor mm-hmm. to borrow their energy temporarily to use it to rise up and do what they need to do because not everyone has that motor. Not every energy type has that motor. Right. Not everybody's vibing at that level, <laughs> like the, right. and, the like energetic wave of like. Yeah. And, and the other energy types have different levels that they're vibing at. This makes sense because um, for me, like how I think about it is there are some people who just really like to do things. Like, I don't think they're running from anything. I don't think, I think they just really like doing things. They have a lot of energy and others of us like me like to take a nap during the day, you yeah. know, I, I, and I, um, I've always felt bad about that. I still get a lot done. It's just that sometimes people are like surprised by how much I get done, even though I'm pretty laid back and lazy. Maybe that's the wrong word to use, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, projectors don't have that defined sacral motor. Mm-hmm. Some of them do have defined motor centers, which you can be like a higher energy projector, but projectors typically because of what you have to share is so potent. You don't need the same amount of time as everybody else to do the work. What is required or is suggested is more rest time to be in receivership, to cultivate the ideas that you're meant to share with the collective to get the generators, the worker bees and the manifesting generators to get our motor all like, like my friend Bridget was talking about. Yeah. yeah. She presents me with an idea and then my motor is like, <laughs> and I just yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. yeah. If it lights me up, I get it done, but it's, it's just a different way of being. And I find with clients when they're presented with this information, people usually look at me and they're like, okay, wow, that resonates. Like mm-hmm. I always felt that way. Mm-hmm. Now, do I have permission to be this way? And I'm like, well, what human design does is it gives you permission to try it, mm-hmm. try it, see what happens, see what happens if you try making decisions this way, or if you try, you know, noticing these signposts of like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm feeling this way that according to my design means like, I have to do a little noticing now I have to see like, Right. Is this, does this mean it's not for me? Or does this mean like, I just need to have a simple conversation with someone to shift it. It is kind of these touchstones to grab onto, to give you direction. And it's like a full map, which I love. I think so many of us now are looking for a deeper connection with ourselves and each other. And it's nice to be like, here are some things you can try. (laughs) Right. Right. Try it. If it doesn't resonate, you never have to try it again, or maybe try it again in six months or something like that. You know, it's about trying things and it sounds easier than it is. Like there's a lot of trust involved that you have to cultivate Mm. with yourself Mm. to be like, like for projector, it's like, 
can I have self-worth in a capitalist economy that stresses productivity? Can I trust that I'm worthwhile? Ah, so this has been a lifelong challenge for me. So I need to cultivate my own trust that I can. I have to decondition from this capitalistic Mm -hmm. mentality. Yeah. And Mm self-worth. If you, if you're able to get done what you need to get done and take a nap, then yeah, (laughs) your value is not based on your productivity. Maybe this is why I was never good at a nine to five. Yeah. Like just very like regimented. It's just not the way I, I don't know, operate, but what have you seen with clients? Have you seen any difference? Like what have you, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing what can happen to your nervous system when you give yourself permission Mm. to create boundaries in a different way. So I'll, I'll go back to the gifts because I think it's relevant here, but like the second one that I see a lot and this, this blew my mind when I first learned about human design, I was like, what the like, like the earth below me shook, but human design talks about the body being in existence to serve us. The body is what helps us make decisions. The body, the somatic response is what helps lead us. Mm-hmm. And our mind is here. All that thinking we do, all that putting together concepts and ideas that is to be of service to others. Whoa. Interesting. Yeah. So like logic and all that, when you get into that overthinking, it's like, okay, all these things I'm learning, like I loved, I'm never not learning. I need to, to be in classes or doing something to feed my motor. So I don't push and hustle and force things because Mm -hmm. that's not my strategy in human design, but it's mind blowing. And it's also comforting to be like, okay, so I'm supposed to listen to my body. I'm supposed to have a somatic connection. I'm supposed to listen to my body when an opportunity is presented to me and I get a bad taste in my mouth. Mm -hmm. I listen to that instead of the logic in my mind being like, oh, well, this could really lead to something else because that is a should. And that is informing me about a story in the future that hasn't happened yet. You mean that may never happen. Okay. So like that anxious, like overthinking. Yeah. So like an example would be like, let's say I get an email from Mm -hmm. someone who wants me to do an event and the person's really well-known and it's at a place where my body is like, I'm already exhausted about thinking about getting on a plane for 20 hours, (laughs) going to a place, only being there for two days, turning around and having to come back because there's X, Y, Z family stuff or whatever that I want to do. So my body is like, I can't. I just feel exhausted. I feel depleted at the idea of it. Right. I'm getting that message from my body and my mind kicks in and goes, this person has a really big following. I see. They're offering to pay me a lot of money. That means X, Y, and Z for me or my family. You know, then the should start coming in. Then the logic starts coming in. And then I start to imagine possibilities from this. Like, oh, well, who could they introduce me to? Or Maybe they'll introduce me to someone who works for YouTube and I'll have a, like, like whatever it is, like we start creating these stories and that could all be totally possible, Mm -hmm. but it's not happening in the now. What's happening in the now is my body is saying this idea, you're already tired. Yeah. And what we were kind of conditioned to do in our society is to be like, of course you say yes. It's a huge opportunity. Like this person has this and they're connected to this. And it's like, so for me, my design is to wait to respond. That's my authority because with my energy, I can get pulled into other people's excitement and not be able to determine if it's how I feel. So I would immediately shoot an email back saying, wow, you know, thank you so much for thinking of me. 
I need some time to think about this and look at my calendar. Let me get back to you. So, okay. So this does sound like trust because you have to trust that that opportunity isn't going to like, if you don't take it, you know, you're going to fall apart. <laughs> Nobody's ever going right. to you again. Right. You know? Trust that it's not do or die. Right. You know, the energetic theory of it. And I do see this happening in real time is that something else comes along that is better suited that because it is aligned with the energy of your body and it does light you up, the benefit from that experience will be far greater than you doing anything that your body is saying no to. So what's three? What's the third gift? So the three is really strong boundaries, but it's coming from a completely different place than therapy. And I hate, I hate that I am the person that says, do all of the things Mm -hmm. because I understand how unfair that is. But I also think that people in mental health don't do that enough. They don't say like, yes, you need talk therapy. You also need to understand somatics. You need to understand energy. Do all of these things. It sucks to say, but they're all really, really important to everyone's well-being because there's places that trauma can hide in the body that we cannot fully access through talk therapy. There's things around trauma that we may be able to get to through somatics that we can't get to through talk therapy. And I mean, people in different modalities will make arguments for why you only need to do one. But I'm saying it sucks to say this, but do all the things, do all the things. They're all really important. They all tap into different areas. So yes, creating boundaries and talk therapy is essential, Mm -hmm. but it comes from a place of reaction. Mm -hmm. So like a boundary and talk therapy would be like, every time my sister comes over, she, she makes me feel like a hot mess because she says my house is a mess and it makes me feel really bad about myself or whatever. So I have to have better boundaries with my sister to like, not have her like meet her somewhere else, Mm. not have her over Mm. at the house. Mm -hmm. So when I see my sister, I meet her at, you know, a museum or whatever, a bookstore or something. Right. Whereas human design would frame it as I'm not as lit up or my energy goes to other places more than it goes to keeping my house clean right now. I like that. Yeah. So that's the boundary that I'm I'm not having my sister over at the house because you know what? It's really not that important to me. Right. If my right. house looks like a dumpster fire because <laughs> my energy is actually, I feel better. My energy is better spent doing other things that just mean more to me or have a higher level of importance. Mm-hmm. And so the boundary becomes not out of reaction, but out of a decision that you're making to preserve something within yourself. And then, so it's like, Hey sis, let's meet at the museum. Right. Either because I know you think I'm a hot mess and my house is a mess, but I actually don't give a shit. (laughs) So we're just not going there. It's a little bit different. Right. Well, it sounds empowering. I think so. And I, and I think we ultimately like, we need both. Right. We need both. We need the boundary from a somatic and an energetic standpoint. And we also need to recognize, you know, we can change. We can't expect other people to change. Right. Maybe your sister's always going to think that you're a hot mess because she can't do her own work. (laughs) No, wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't have a sister. Yeah, I don't have a sister, but (laughs) just saying. Um, Hypothetically speaking. Yeah. Yeah. But it comes from a different place. And then I think the last three are kind of a little bit related. So patience is really important. And patience is not something that we are taught to do in a capitalist society. We're not 
It's not valued to be the only time patience is a quote unquote virtue is when you're a woman or a mother. Nobody else gives a shit about patience. Yep. And in human design, patience is not thought of as this virtuous, like feminine ideal. Patience Mm -hmm. is really about learning to wait and understanding that your energy is best used in certain areas. And it can be hard. Like the strategy for projectors is wait to be invited. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean you sit around and you don't do anything. Like it's right. about being seen and asking people if you can give them feedback. You know, there are active ways to do it, but I guess it should be explicitly said that I am a projector. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't, I wasn't outing you, but I if will you tell share, all of fine. you that I am a projector. <laughs> so I have to wait around. I don't, I take my naps. Yes. It's hard. It is hard. When I found that out, I was like, this sucks. And and most people who, that's why I think it's really important to get readings, because if you just read, if you just get the book or you read your chart, you're like, wait to be invited. I know. (laughs) I'm like, nobody invites me to do anything. But it actually is a way of preserving the potent, precious projector energy. Because if you weren't waiting to have a response Mm -hmm. to the right opportunities that are most aligned, you'd burn out. And that's not in service to you. And that's not in service to the collective. So patience in waiting Mm -hmm. and we don't wait. Like people are online in the target customer service line for more than three minutes and they get pissed off. You know, it's like, it's okay to wait. It's really okay to wait. It actually is part of the process. That downtime is part of every single creative process. Writer's block is part of every single creative process process not being able to paint is part of every single like it's part of every creative process is waiting Mm. just waiting and so that's a really important thing to be able to do I think and seeing it from an energetic perspective is kind of fun um the next one is uh, five is trust which we talked about before it's really hard Mm -hmm. with especially with opportunities coming to you like I said like that this made-up opportunity I was talking about to trust that like that exhausts me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, my strategy says I have to wait for clarity. So maybe I wait a couple of days and it still exhausts me to trust that I can listen to that exhaustion and my world is not going to fall away mm-hmm. because I didn't take an opportunity from someone with X number of followers who I imagine was going to introduce me to like, I don't know, like Diana Ross or one of my favorite people on the planet, like whatever we imagine, like somehow- right. In my mind, that opportunity was like, maybe they know Diana Ross and I can meet Diana Ross. That would be so rad, you know, (laughs) whatever it is, whatever we make up, that that is not going to wreck my world and trust that when we get communications from their body, from our body, we can listen to them and also trust that we can make decisions without letting our mind take over, that we can be what human design calls as the conscious passenger. Mm where logic is not driving the car, right? Logic is taking a backseat. Logic is serving the collective. Our mind is serving others, but it's taking a backseat to being in service to ourselves. So this final gift, it's the idea of rest and receivership, which is something that we don't talk about. I think it's because you know, we live in a world where machines operate so fast between input and output mm-hmm. that we have failed to recognize that you cannot be an input and output at the same time. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. So if you're in output, great. You're being, you know, you're being in service, but in order to be an output, you have to have times when you are at rest and receivership. So you can be an input, whether that's be an input of ideas, just energy, like Mm -hmm. physical, biological energy, like rest, or to take in ideas to sit quietly in a class Mm. and just observe, like, and again, it goes back to the creative process. Like this is what the creative process is about. And human energy is ultimately creative mm-hmm. in, a, in a very quantum physics way. It is incredibly creative. So we are really talking about a quote unquote creative process when we talk about our energy. And it's like, you just, you, ha- you have to give yourself time to take things in. And for some energy types, they need more time because what they ultimately end up sharing is so profound that it can really only be shared with people who are ready to hear it, which is why wait to be invited is so important. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a lot for some people. So I've had to accept that. <laughs> I have strong opinions sometimes, but interestingly, I have no opinion most of the time, but then every, I will have a very strong opinion. So, but it can be hard. Yeah. If people aren't ready to hear it. Totally. And, and that's when then your energy is, it's like, <laughs> Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it just kind of falls flat and you're like i had all this energy and then it was spent on someone that is not ready to hear my insights yes i've had that experience yeah yeah it's and it's hard and it's like, like also too with the invitation it's like once you receive an invitation you're invited mm-hmm. so my friend is a projector still says i have something can i share it with you and i'm like the door's open like you don't have <laughs> You're not right. a vampire. I don't need to invite you in every single time. Like, <laughs> you're, you know, you're invited. Yeah. I mean, it's really powerful and potent. It's very well thought out. So I listen, but rest and receivership is necessary. It's necessary to our overall well-being. It's necessary to how energy works. Mm-hmm. It comes in so it can go out. It comes yeah. in so it can go out. And that's energy. That's machines. That's literal energy, like electricity. And we, you know, we don't really differ all that much. So it's really important to allow ourselves to also be in receivership in the way that we think of as a luxury, like Hmm. to be in, to allow people to do things for us. Hmm. I'll, I'll use a kind of a strange example, but let's say I have a friend who I love getting facials. Like I would rather get a facial than absolutely anything. At any time, I don't get them enough. It's like a life goal of mine to like get them right. in a steady stream. But let's say I had a friend who was a very ta- talented skin expert and said, why don't you like come to my office and I'll just, I'll give you a face. Just come like, when can you come? And I'll just do it. And I would maybe feel like, oh gosh, like that's a lot. Like that's your expertise. I can't ask mm-hmm. you to do that. Like, what if I actually allowed myself to receive that? Mm. In a fair way. Like, what if I was like, right. okay, you want to give me this gift. I'm so grateful. I'm actually going to receive it because it's going to make me feel really good. It's going to make you feel really good. Mm-hmm. And then I might think, okay, maybe I want to offer something in return, but that's at like a, a later date, you know, say, mm-hmm. I really appreciate this. You're very talented. I appreciate your expertise and time. What if I just received that? Well, it gives if- her a gift too, right? Yeah. So it's like, what if we just received things that people wanted to do for us or help us with instead of worried about like, does that make me vulnerable or mm-hmm. what do I need to give in return? Like, mm-hmm. what if we just practice being in receivership? Like, 
thank you for doing that instead of mm-hmm. feeling guilty, like, oh, I didn't get to that, but you did it for me. So thank you. Like I can receive that. It's it's big. It's really big. That is big. That's huge. I think that's the block for most and probably conditioning, which I think is what this human design thing is supposed to like help decondition. And, you know, a lot of different people are talking about a lot of different ways, but yeah. So if somebody wants to work with you and find out how they can receive these gifts that you are offering <laughs> this reading and everything, <laughs> do you like how I did that? Yeah, yeah I do. They, yeah. <laughs> Expertly done. It was really good. <laughs> chef's kiss. Yes. Uh, what would they do? How would they reach out to you? Well, they can go to my website, which is lisaanderson.com, lisaandersonshafer.com. That was funny. That was a little Freudian slip there. <laughs> lisaandersonshafer.com, or they can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is the same, lisaandersonshafer. If you go to my website and you sign up for my newsletter, I have a link there to, to book. You can book from my calendar right there. I don't share my link on my website or social media for booking. You can also just email me, las at lisaandersonshafer.com. Yeah. And there's lots of different ways to work with me. If you want to like dip your toe in and be like, I don't know about this. I'm not ready for a reading. Mm-hmm. You can order one of those books that I talked about at the okay. beginning that I had ordered from someone else's website, <laughs> but I have my own book and that can kind of be a way to um, see if it resonates, see if they're feeling yeah. something, see if they get that ping, that energetic, whatever in their yeah, if it says, I need to go look at this. Yeah. If it lights you up and then send me your questions. If you're looking at this, like what the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Email me a question. I love, I, I love talking about this. I love yeah. sharing this with people. Thank you so much. Cause now we're sharing it with others. Ah, many, many thanks to Lisa. I told you she was amazing. You can find Lisa on Instagram at Lisa Anderson Schaefer, all one word. And sign up for her weekly newsletter, Alchemy. You'll get her weekly contemplations that join science with the wildly creative and exclusive access to her business mentorship and human design guided appointments. It's going to blow your mind. As for us, you can find us on Instagram at Jennifer underscore magazine and of course, jennifermag.com. Join our Gen X membership and you'll not only receive an annual subscription to Jennifer Magazine, you'll also get monthly invites to live online events. And we just had one the other week and everyone brought their best energy. It was, it was soul nourishing. So if you're also walking towards a new identity or your own personal evolution and you want to be around others who not only get that, but will celebrate you for that, come on over and join us. We'd love to have you. If you like this podcast, subscribe, share it with your friends, leave a lovely review. All of these things mean a lot. And I thank you for helping us spread the word. Speaking of thanks, I want to thank the team behind us. This podcast is edited by Carrie M., Additional support is provided by our intern, Ellie Cooper, and I want to give a huge thanks to the entire Jennifer Magazine team. You should definitely get to know them at jennifermag.com. Click on the contributors link. If you need a boost, read them, follow them. They are the best. We keep excellent company. And finally, I want to thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. Until next week. 